Welcome to this next installment of this series that we've been calling Counterculture. And so if you're new, we are actually in a series that is kind of a verse-by-verse study through the book of Daniel. It's a his, Daniel is a historical book. It has a story or stories of his of Israel's history where they were where they were invaded by Babylon and by a king Nebuchadnezzar who came tore down the city, burned down the city, and bur- and brought all the Israelites into captivity for seventy years. And, and God had prophesied this would have happened. And Daniel would have been about 16 years old or so when this happened. And he, along with a few of his buddies, were put into the king's court while the rest were treated like common slaves. Daniel and these other guys were in the king's court. And so God used them to, get, to have influence. And what's interesting about Daniel and its application today is that they were confronted with a secular society that went against the everything that they knew to be right. So here they are trying to live godly, keep their convictions, stay strong in the midst of all the things that they're facing. And it was very difficult for them because the culture was so secular. And what this really teaches us is how can we, as culture shifts and slides and becomes more and more ungodly, the question that we're asking is how can we live strong in our faith in a culture of compromise? So I really, really believe that Daniel's story, it is, it's kind of actually eerie in how similar it is to our culture today. And so in part one, we talked about that Babylonian culture wanted to rename them. And so we learned that if you take on a name that God hasn't given you, you will miss the life that God has for you, which which is a huge plug for actually the growth track that we have. And what we do there is we actually help you discover or rediscover your God-given identity. You know, what name has God given you? How has God created you? Because you'll never live a fulfilled life until you connect with how God made you. So we just take you through a spiritual gift profile. And and if you've never done that, it's a really, really cool thing that we do. And so you can go to lwfc.org slash growth track to get that. So anyway, the second thing that they were confronted with cultures, you know, this is maybe culture's greatest test. And we ask this question is, who will you worship? Because there is a battle for your worship. Are we going to bow our knee to what secular society says? Or are we going to bow our knee to God? So we saw this incredible story about that. And then last week, we talked about how to confront culture. Because there are going to be times when we need to confront people that we love, you know, over things that are different in our culture. And what we learned is that if your goal is restoration, you're always going to confront with humility and hope. You're not just in it to be right, you know. And it, and it, look, if you can't wait for confrontation, you know, I've just got the facts and I'm just going to tell them that you're probably not ready. Because if somebody's going astray, it's always pride, you know, in the middle of that. And if you confront pride with pride, you're always going to create division. And that's not what we want. So today, we are going to continue to talk about that, pride, because I think this is our culture's greatest sin, is pride. It just says, God, we got this. We don't need you anymore. You know, we can just put you off to the side. We can call on you whenever we need you, you know, we can, but we'll just leave you over here. But God, we don't really need you right now. And really, I believe that it is the root of all the other sins. I could say it this way. Murder is not the greatest sin. Adultery is not the greatest sin, because all of them have their root in 
God, I got this. I don't need you. And that's what leads to all the others. It's culture's greatest sin. So what we're going to do today is we're going to go back and we're going to look at the story that we looked at last week, but I skipped a part of it. And so as you remember, King Nebuchadnezzar, he is giving his version of the story and he starts at the end uh, to tell where he ends up and then he begins to tell the whole story of how everything happened and what he went through. So in Daniel 4 verse 1, it says King Nebuchadnezzar, so th remember, this is King Nebuchadnezzar is telling the story himself, and he says to the, to the people, nations, men, and every language that live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. Now, that's not the word prosperity, as in get another car, a bigger house. That's not that word. It is the prosperity of the soul, that particular word is. And it says, may you live, in other words, at the peace and contentment that God always meant for you to have. It was shalem. It's a form of the word shalom, which means peace. And so it says, may you prosper greatly. And he says, it is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the most high God has performed for me. There he is, Nebuchadnezzar glorifying God, go figure. And he says, how great are his sons, how mighty are his wonders. And his kingdom is an eternal kingdom and his dominion endures for generation to generation. And so he's just praising God, worshiping God, and declaring that, look, this is not a God or a book that is secluded to a generation, but it has application for all generations to come. And that is you and for me. This is for us today as a prophetic book. And I just want to remind you, this is a prophetic book, which means that every bit of this has a picture for us today, an application for us today. Okay, so... How this story goes is Nebuchadnezzar, he wouldn't worship God, he wouldn't bow to God as we talked about last week. He was very arrogant, full of pride, and he's warned in this dream that if he didn't turn and worship God, he would go insane. And the word insanity, I mean, it actually means deranged thinking. So when your thinking is off, it produces something, it produces turmoil in the soul, right? So I think we live in a time of insanity where thinking has gotten off, it's away from what God's word actually says. And then we, what we're doing is we're living in the chaos that is planet earth right now because of that. And the Bible says that the earth is actually groaning under the sin of the people of the earth. I mean, we're seeing crazy stuff right now. Just the madness of society, the madness of our culture right now. And where does it come from? I'm telling you. It stems from this deranged thinking that's rooted in pride, that will, and that will always lead to insanity, turmoil of the soul. And so in this, we are going to see that all of us can find ourselves at least dabbling in some of these prides that we're going to look at today that, look, that actually lead to insanity. The first one's found in the next verse, verse 4, where... Now he goes back and he tells the whole story. He says, I was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. Contented and prosperous. One of the ironies of the great country that we live in, we live in the greatest place on earth, and we are incredibly blessed. And I personally believe that God has blessed America so that we can be a blessing to the rest of the world. That's what prosperity is for. But every generation from as far as we can go back in history and study, every single generation that has experienced any level of prosperity, literally none have known how to handle that prosperity. That, the prosperity has led to contentment. 
we got this, God, self-sufficiently. God, we got this. We'll call you later. We're okay now. We don't really need you now. And we retreat from our relationship with God and into what we call like fire alarm prayers, right? It's like when the house is burning down, it's like, oh, God, where are you? Well, he's the last place you left him, the last time you talked to him. That's where he is. Because, see, we have a tendency to shove God away when we become self-sufficient. And here's the key point for today is that we have to stay God-dependent and not self-sufficient. I'm going to say it again. You have to stay God-dependent, not self-sufficient, regardless of, your, of your, your wealth or anything that you have. See, this is why Jesus said it's difficult for rich people to get into the kingdom of God. He didn't say you couldn't. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus had rich people follow him around financing his ministry. But Jesus goes out of the way to make a point to give those who are prosperous a warning. Because here's the big question. Can we be prosperous and still be God-dependent? And listen, we have to do that. Because if we don't, the same thing that happens in Nebuchadnezzar is going to happen to us. God wants you and I to have more than enough so that we can finance the kingdom and bless others. He wants to minister through you, through me. But if we find ourselves self-sufficient and we leave God out of our lives, then we are going to find ourselves in insanity. And that happens when we are self-sufficient instead of God-dependent, regardless of what we have. To which all of us would say, well, you know, that's not me. You know, I'm watching church this morning. You know, I love God. And isn't it, isn't it interesting, though, that we pray a lot more when we're in trouble and a lot less when we're not? Isn't it interesting that when chaos is going on, church is packed out, a lot of viewers, but when the economy is strong and everything's smooth, it goes down. And here's the warning for all of us. Can we stay God-dependent even when everything is okay? You know, well, how do we do that? I think prayer is a huge part of it. it prayer is not a 911 to God. Prayer is a relationship. When everything is going great, I still need you, God. Give me today my daily bread. Without you, I'm nothing. I declare my dependence upon you every day. That's the truth. In fact, I could say it this way. Think about the atheism that is prayerlessness. When we get to a place where we say, you know what, God, I think I got this, and I'll let you know if I need anything. We don't say it verbally, but how often is that what, we, what the, the impression we give to God? I mean, we have to be dependent on God's power in our lives. And the way that you communicate that to God is where we need to stay in our prayer time, just seeking God, daily prayer. That's why we have this tradition of 21 days of prayer here at Living Word every year. We start the day or the year off with 21 days of prayer and fast, of fasting. We do it at the first part of the year because we want God to know that he's first. We got to have you, God, before we do anything else. We're going to push the plate away. We're going to seek your face. We're going to come and pray in the mornings. We need your presence in our life, in our church, in our nation. And listen, I'm telling you, we have to turn back to a God dependence instead of a self-sufficiency. So going back to the story, uh, I just want to set this up for you, okay? We talked about this a little bit last week, is that Nebuchadnezzar, he has this dream. He sees this tree, uh, this giant tree, and he's got all these branches and birds are living in it. Fruit is hanging from it. It's bringing blessing to the country. And all of a sudden, that tree was cut down, but it, the stump was, was left remaining. So there's a little bit still there. So he goes to all of his wise men. None of them could you know, interpret it. They didn't want to get their head chopped off. So he goes to Daniel and Daniel says, yes, I can. And then here's what Daniel said in verse 22. He said, you, O king, are the tree. 
Now that could have had his head cut off. But Nebuchadnezzar, was, you know, he hadn't been converted yet, and he was a bad guy at this point. And he, but Daniel said, you've become great and strong. And you could say this about our nation. We have become great and strong. You could say this about a lot of us. We have become great and strong. And he says, your greatness has been strong. It reaches to the, to the sky, your dominion across the earth. You, O king, saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree, destroy it, but leave the stump. God always leaves the ability for you to turn back to him every single time. He always leaves the stump. Look, there is always, I guess you could say a retribution or a, a payment for the sin that we have. And people might say, well, that's because God's bringing judgment to you or to America. No, no, no. It's because we step out from under God's protection and we bring that on ourselves. That's what happens. God always, though, leaves a way back, a stump. And so he left a stump bound with with iron and bronze while its roots remained in the ground. And it says, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live like wild animals and that insanity until seven years has passed for him. And then verse 24 says, this is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people. You will live like the wild animals. You'll eat grass like cattle. You'll be drenched with the dew of heaven. So literally, the king went insane. Seven years, he says, is going to pass by and your insanity until, and and here's the thing. He says, until you acknowledge that the Most High is the sovereign over the kingdom, or is sovereign of the kingdom. It says, King, if you keep taking credit for things that you didn't do, I mean, because the king stood there and admired his own work, and sometimes we do that. Well, look at the house I live in, look at the cars I own, look at my family, look at my retirement account, the success of my business, and God says, look, I don't mind you being successful, I want that, but you have to acknowledge that it didn't come from you. And as a prophetic warning for you and me, when we give ourselves the credit instead of thanking God, then that is insanity. And it's not going to go well with us. Literally, the right way for us to live, if we are going to avoid the turmoil of our soul, that insanity, if we want to heed this prophetic warning, I am urging all of us, thank God for absolutely everything that you have. In everything, give thanks to God. When it rains, thank Him for the rain. Sunshine, thank Him for that. You know, when it's going good, thank Him for that. When it's going bad, thank God that you're getting ready to learn some important lessons. God, I thank you, you know, for this trial. I consider it joy in all things. You say, Micah, that's crazy. That's insanity. No, our culture is insane. I'm talking to you about the Word of God. Well, Micah, but I went to school. Uh, you know, I work a lot. I, you know, I learned a lot. All of this, I'm the one that earned all this. No, you wouldn't even be able to do any of that if God did not give you the brain to think and the breath to breathe for, for you to even make any of that happen. If you want to avoid a Nebuchadnezzar type insanity, then what we've got to do, uh, because we're experiencing this in our nation right now, because our nation is arrogant and prideful. And and instead of saying, God bless America and God bless my family, we end up saying, it's all because of me. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 7 in the Living Bible, it says, what are you so puffed up about? What do you have that God hasn't already given you? 
And if all you have is from God, why do you act as though you have accomplished something on your own? I mean, I love that verse. And I think that it's important, even like even when we give, even when we're being generous, that we really don't get the idea that, you know, that we're, well, we're helping God out. You know, because even if we gave everything that we have, God has just made us a steward of it. You know, he's just let us use it. And we're saying, God, I'm going to give back to you what's yours. I mean, just the 10% is not yours. It's all yours. I mean, all my clothes, my house, my car, you know, my money, everything is yours. And I'm telling you, that will bring you prosperity of the soul that the world can't give you. And that attitude brings a peace to our heart. That's the truth. Daniel 4, verse 26, watch this. He said, the command to leave the stump and the tree for the roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when, it's a key word, when you acknowledge that heaven rules. When you acknowledge that heaven rules. Say, and then he says, this is, your, this is your final problem, Nebuchadnezzar. You think that you rule, and the truth is God rules. And that's why we have to stay God-dependent and not self-sufficient. I'm telling you, there is an arrogance in our society when we become self-sufficient and we think we know more than God. So we'll legislate and debate things like, you know, sexuality or marriage, you know, abortion. But look, we know what the Bible says. Well, but that was a long time ago. You know, we're a progressive generation. We've progressed. We know better now. That was written in a very archaic society. You know, that's outdated. We know better now. And listen, I want to tell you, America has a warning that we're going to end up like a stump if we think we know more than God knows. And the further we get away from God's word, I'm telling you, the more insanity that we are going to see in our generation. And that is the truth. The earth is groaning and there's chaos because we're a generation that by and large has rejected God's word and his standard. And the closer that we get back to it and call on God, I want to tell you, there will be peace again. Well, can you prove it, Micah? Yeah, I actually can. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, he said, If my people that are called by name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sins. The stump will grow again, and I will heal their land. And God knows, I believe, that America needs some healing right now. And I think that you do too. The best definition um, of sin is this. My way, not your way, God. Sin is simply, I want to do it my way and not your way, God. And I am calling on all of us to get back to the standard of God's word. Just accept the authority of God's word again and become dependent on him. See, it's when we think we know best instead of acknowledging that heaven rules. When we think we know best instead of just acknowledging that God rules, that heaven rules, that's when things go bad. And I think we need to get back and be a generation that says God rules. We're going to follow God. Isaiah 66.2 says, These are the ones that I look on with favor. Can I ask you a question? How many of you would want God to look on you with favor? Just put it in the chat right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're smart people. You know that. So how do we get God's favor? It says, those that are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at his word. 
the one who says, look, I don't know what's best, God. You know what's best. And I don't have to understand it. I'm just called to obey it. You know, that we come to a point that we understand God's ways are higher than our ways. And so we're just going to follow God because we believe that he knows best. And it's true. He does. Now, watch this. In verse 29, 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of his palace in Babylon in the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the world, he says, is this not the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? And the words were still on his lips when this angel, this voice from heaven said, this, this is what's declared for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. Verse 32, you will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You're going to eat grass like cattle. Seven years, seven times, seven years will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men, and it gives them to anybody he wishes. Verse 33, and immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew out like feathers of an eagle and his nails like claws of a bird. He literally went insane. And at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, who's telling this story, he says, I got a little smart. And the warning is here, so you don't have dew on your head, so your nails don't have to look like like a bird. You know, if you want some feathers, don't listen to this. But if you don't like feathers on you, then this is what you need to do. Because he said, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored, and I praised the Most High. You see, God is always in a moment willing to forgive you and restore you. He's always willing in just a moment to restore you. Psalm 51 says, A broken and contrite spirit God will never never despise. You can mess up and the second you say, God, I'm truly broken. I repent of my sin. I turn my face to you. He's like, okay, because he's a good God and it's true. And King Nebuchadnezzar, at that point, he was converted. He followed Daniel's God, the one true God. And then in verse 36, he says, At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor returned to me. See, it's always God's desire to bless you. And he says, And the glory of my kingdom got returned. My advisors and nobles saw me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, now I, Micah. Now, God says something to us today through this, to you, to me. He says this. He encourages all of us to do this. I say this. He says this. Praise, exalt, and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, this is Nebuchadnezzar, God is able to Every week, I encourage you at the beginning of service, I encourage you to lean in and to worship, give worth to God. And there's a reason for that. And look, I know that you're not in a service with a bunch of other people. I know that you're at home or driving, you're on the treadmill, wherever you're at. But listen, there is an arrogance associated with us being like, yeah, yeah, I don't wanna do the music. You know what, if we're God dependent and not self-sufficient, there is a gratefulness and a thankfulness that we want to express to him. The Bible says, lift your hand and bless the Lord. 
I mean, if he had said, touch your nose and stand on one foot, that's what we should do. Why? Because he is God and he asks us to worship him. It's not a matter of what I feel or what I like or that music's not my style. Clap your hands, all ye people, and shout out with the voice of triumph. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That's what the book says. That's what the Bible says. So that's what we do. And listen, what's going to happen when we do is your sanity will be restored when he is put back on the throne in your life. That's why I say every week, come on, worship the Lord. Give him what he deserves. That's why we praise God, because he is worthy, the only one worthy of our praise. And that helps us understand that we're not self-sufficient, but we are God-dependent. And we have to acknowledge that God does everything right and all his ways are just. We've got to stop trying to adapt God to culture. We've got to stop trying to modify God, modify the Bible to fit our culture because his ways are higher than our ways. And when we come to a place that we say, look, look, I don't always understand. I don't even always like it. But as for, as for me, I enjoy serving God and I think all of his ways are right and it's working for my life. And the day that we actually accept his word as the final authority, I'm telling you sanity will be restored and peace will come back to your life because his ways work. It works. And when a nation returns back to our Judeo-Christian ethics, we can actually believe and preach the Ten Commandments and serve God and use those as a pattern for our nation and our lives. I'm telling you, then sanity will come back to America too. We've got to acknowledge that God does everything right and all of his ways are just. But we also have to walk in humility. It takes humility to say, God, no matter what I have, no matter how successful that I have, that I, that I am, I am dependent on you. I humble myself. I mean, so what's humility? You know, is that just calling yourself a worm and woe is me? See, humility is not thinking much of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And we can actually walk with courage and conviction, but we also with contrition and not be arrogant. And when that happens, when we do that, you're gonna be blessed. So let me close with a final thought. Just listen in. The New Testament says this in James chapter four and verse 10. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord. Now this is what I wanna say to all of us. We are gonna get humbled one way or the other. It's always easier though to humble yourself than it is to be humbled. And I wanna encourage you today, me today, that God, uh, just that ask God to rid us from any, any pride that's in our life. That we have to humble ourselves and then the Bible says that the Lord will lift us up if we do. So let's recognize who he is in our life and what we owe him and be less self-sufficient and more God-dependent. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your word today. I thank you for who you are in our lives. God, that you are all-sufficient, that you are everything to us. And God, we lay down our own desires, our own, uh, our own thoughts, and we submit them to you. We repent of any pride that might have been in our hearts. And Holy Spirit, as, as we've been listening to this message, just the places that you kind of put a finger on in our lives as to where maybe we're just a little bit too self-dependent and, and not depending on you. We're a little bit too self-sufficient. I thank you, Lord, that we turn that over to you. 
for this week. Just make a change in our hearts. And may we depend on you in everything and in every way. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for illuminating it in our hearts and our minds. And then also, we commit to you to not only be hearers, but to be doers of your word as well. We love you so much. In Jesus' name.